0: I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we are a needy people, and we are here because we need you. Meet our needs. As we open up your Word, Holy Spirit, fall fresh among us, and we pray you would move among us, and you would win the loss, and you would build believers. You would equip workers and and multiply disciple-makers. Lord, we need a revival. Our, Our nation needs a spiritual awakening, so will you not yourself revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. And Lord, may that revival spill over into our land, into a great spiritual awakening, that people would recognize their need of you and come to faith in you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, One of my heroes, uh, R.C. Sproul, a Bible teacher and pastor, he recently died. But once I was listening to him and he said the one question he had never had anyone ask him in his whole life as a teacher was, how could God love me? So it's interesting, a a few moments ago we sang the song Amazing Grace. But his experience was people really are not amazed by grace. He said, no one ever asked him how could God love me. But the question he was asked over and over again was not about God's grace, but about God's justice, about God's wrath. The question he was most asked is, how could God punish someone? How could God destroy the world with a flood? How could God send Israel in to wipe out people? How could God do that? And... um, Matter of fact, he says, we sing amazing grace in church, but he said we shouldn't. He said, instead of singing amazing grace, we should sing amazing justice, how cruel and sharp that wounded a saint like me. I'm so darn good, it makes no sense the tower fell on me. So this morning, we're going to learn about God's justice. We're going to learn about God's wrath. And the point of today's message is just like the title of today's message. It's that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. Would you say that with me? Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. Uh, We are walking through the book of Malachi. Uh, If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there to Malachi chapter 2. And the reason we're walking through this book is because this book teaches that everyone, everyone needs Jesus. Uh, And when we understand God's justice, when we understand God's wrath, we recognize how much we need Jesus. What we've discovered in this book is this book is, is six arguments. Six arguments, that word used in a good sense of the word, like a legal argument, where God makes a statement And then the people object and say, how can that be true? And then God presents his case. He presents his argument. You remember last week, right? Last week, God said, you are promise breakers. And the people said, well, how have we broken uh, our promises? And then God says, you've broken your promises in everyday life. You've broken your promises by marrying outside the faith. You've broken your promises in your marriage. And today... The statement God is going to make is that God is just. God is just. God will judge justly. And we're going to find the people say, well, how can that be? So if you have your Bible, Malachi 2, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Now, I love the first part of this. God is returning the favor. God's saying what? You weary me with your worship. Remember a few weeks ago? Remember a few weeks ago we read that the people said, oh, worship is so boring. Remember that? In Malachi 1.13, remember Yet you also say, my, how tiresome it is. I mean, do we have to go to church? Do we have to worship? My, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff, in it, so, sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Oh. So the people said, we're bored by worship. And God says, what I find your worship boring. I find your worship tiresome. Well, that reminded me of, as being a pastor, people often say, you know, Smiley, it's hard to find a good church. And I want you to that's true. But when people tell me it's hard to find a good church, I love to respond back and say, you know, it's hard to find a good church member. <laughs> and people go, what? And I said, I know you won't believe this, but we have church members who never give. Did you know that? We have church members who never serve. We have church members who've never led anyone to faith in Christ. Just like it's hard to find a good church, it's really hard to find a good church member too. So these people had been saying, "We find worship so boring and tiresome," and God says, "Man, I find your worship, your worship, I mean, tiresome and weary." But I want you to hear what they're saying. Where is the God of justice? They don't doubt that God exists, but they say, how can there be a just God when there's so much evil in the world? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder why, why is it that people do all that's wrong and they seem to prosper? If you really uh, are concerned about that, write this down. Write down Psalm 73. Write down. If you're really concerned that why do people do evil and not get punished, write down Psalm 73 and read it this afternoon. The whole psalm is answering that question. Um, But here, they're saying, how can God be just when there's so much injustice in the world? So God now begins to present his case. Behold, chapter 3, verse 1, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Listen, God is just. He will judge justly. And so God's going to lay out his case. He's going to send two messengers. And the first messenger, this passage, uh, it really refers to John the Baptist who would clear the way before the Lord. A couple of hundred years earlier, Isaiah, that God spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 3, and said, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, John the Baptist was a herald saying, get ready, get ready, the king is coming. Have you, have you ever seen a presidential motorcade? You ever seen that? In front of the president's car, what they have other cars, they have motorcycles and, all, and they go and they clear the way and they park in all the intersections so nobody can t-bone the president. They go before them and say, clear the way, the president's coming, the president's coming. That's what John the Baptist did. He went before Jesus and said, the king is coming, get ready. The savior is coming, get ready. The Messiah is coming, get ready. Um, And don't we read that in the New Testament that it was fulfilled? In Matthew chapter three, verse one, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here, get ready. Make room for the king in your hearts. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Um, So are you concerned about God judging justly? Listen, he's sending a messenger. His name is John saying, prepare yourself for the king. Um, He'll clear the way before me. Now back in Malachi 3 verse 1, and the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now we're introduced to the second messenger. John would come saying, get ready for the king. And then the Lord himself would come uh, into his temple. So, um, I mean, you you know what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The, The day that God became a man. I mean, do you ever just marvel at that? The Bible says that in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. So there was a moment when there was a fertilized egg and the fullness of God dwelt in one cell. Isn't that amazing? God became a man and, uh, and then he was born. And uh, it says here that the Lord would suddenly appear in the temple. So after Jesus was born, what did his mother and father do? They did what? They brought Jesus to the temple, right? Remember how they brought him to the temple in Luke chapter 2? And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Is that cool, Simeon? You won't die until you see the Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law. And then Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, fulfilling what had been said in Malachi. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace uh, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Can you imagine that? He got to hold in his hand the Savior of the world. The way every Jewish person looked forward to this day, he got to hold the baby, right? In my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. Oh, that messenger that you're looking for, one day he'll come into his temple. He did that when he was young, right? And didn't he do it too by cleansing the temple? Probably twice. It probably happened at the beginning and the end of his ministry. In John chapter 2, we read about how Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his, <clears throat> of his ministry. Now, the people were saying, where is this God of justice? Well, the king has come, and he enters the temple, and we get a little picture of justice, don't we? The pastor over the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables and he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and to those who were selling the doves he said take these things away stop making my house a house a place of business So Jesus cleanses the temple. He's in the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and then we see him doing it again at the end of his ministry, don't we? During that last week in Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you were making it a robber's den. Oh, you want the God of justice? He's sending a messenger saying, get ready for the king. And then the messenger himself will come. He'll come into the temple, the messenger of the covenant. Now, a covenant is a binding promise. And the covenant he's speaking about is the covenant that God made with Abraham. And it had two lines. It had a top line and it had a bottom line. And the top line, he said to Abraham, I will bless you. And the bottom line, he said, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. Um, He said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that covenant. He was the messenger of the covenant. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Now Malachi begins to blend Jesus' first coming with his second coming. Uh, If you're new, Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. Jesus came the first time to seek and save the lost. What we celebrate at Christmas is how Jesus came as a suffering servant to seek and save the lost. But listen, his second coming, Jesus is coming again, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. And when he comes, it's going to be in judgment. He'll come in judgment and to usher in the final state of things. And what we've been learning the last few weeks is grace is not about Jesus lowering the standard. What we've been learning is grace is Jesus forgiving us, and then Jesus moving into us and giving us the Holy Spirit to lift us to the standard. He's purifying us, just like a refiner's fire. (laughs) Listen, a refiner's fire is not like a forest fire that destroys everything. It refines metal and has fuller soap that cleanses like a smelter. Jesus is purifying the people in whom he lives. We call that sanctification, right? That process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Don't we see that in 1 John chapter 3? Uh, in, In 1 John chapter 3? See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Are you a Christian? Listen, Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come, but he does so much more than that, too. We get adopted. We're children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You ever feel like you don't really belong here? That's a good thing. Listen, the world didn't know Jesus and won't understand us either. Beloved, if you're a Christian, we're beloved, beloved now, already. Now we're children of God, And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. One day Jesus is coming back. One day we're going to see him and God will uh, finish his work in us and make us like him. But notice what's going on in the lives of Christians now. And everyone who has this hope of being with Jesus forever, forever, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. When Jesus moves into us, he's that refiner's fire purifying us. He's that fuller's soap who's washing us and cleansing us so that we become more and more like him. Back to Malachi, verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, uh, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, And against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So now he moves from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be for judgment and to usher in the final state of things. If, if you're new, I, I love to teach our people here at Good News that the Bible is one story. It's all gospel. It's all gospel, but it has four chapters. And the four chapters of the one story are creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And those chapters answered the big questions in life. We asked the question, where did everything come from? Chapter one, creation, God made everything and it was good. We ask the question, well, what went wrong? Why is the world so broken? Chapter 2 is the fall, right? Our first parents sinned against God and everything was corrupted. The third question, why doesn't God do something? He has. That's chapter 3, redemption. Jesus came the first time to rescue us from the wrath to come. That Jesus is at work in the world rescuing people and sanctifying them. Where is history headed? That's chapter 4. History is headed to the day when Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back in judgment and to usher in the final state of things. The return of Christ is referred to over 300 times in the New Testament. That means about one of every 13 verses in the New Testament talks about that day, the day. And what will that day be like? In Matthew uh, chapter 25, we read, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, you know the Christmas, Carol right. veiled in flesh the Godhead see, when He comes again, His glory will be unveiled. We'll see His glory. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. The King will be on His throne. It'll be a judgment throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. When Jesus comes back, all the people who have ever lived, they'll be raised bodily from the grave and there will be a judgment day. And um, it will either be eternal life or eternal punishment. If you keep reading in this passage, we come to verse 46 that says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I talk to a lot of people who say, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Uh, I want you to see the word eternal, the same word that describes eternal life describes eternal punishment. Listen, people are forever. It's either eternal life or eternal punishment. So God is just, and God will judge justly, and the people say, well, where is this God of justice? And Malachi writes, well, one day soon, listen, John the Baptist is going to come and tell people to prepare. And Jesus will come the first time to provide a way for sinners to to be rescued from the wrath of God. And then one day, he'll come back and it will be too late for people to receive eternal life. That's why the point of today's message is so important, that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. A judgment day is coming, and we'll either be prepared or unprepared, which would be true of you today. And I know some of you say, well, what's with the word wrath? What's with that word wrath? Wrath is the response of a holy and just God to sin. When you hear about people who do terrible things, isn't there something inside of you that says those people ought to be punished? That's what God is like. The bad news of the gospel is we have a problem called sin. Let me show you that. Did you hear when I read through verse 5? See, the the Bible says that all of us have sinned. So listen to verse 5 again. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. False religion, horoscope, witchcraft, that's some of us, right? And against the adulterers, if that's not your sin, how about that? Premarital sex, anybody involved in that? Adultery, extramarital sex, homosexuality, pornography, lustful thoughts, anybody else, Does, does that get you? And against those who swear falsely, what we learned last week, those who break their promises, in everyday life, those who break their promises in marriage, and against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, uh, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside from the alien, those who take advantage of others, and do not fear me, those who live without a fear of God, the Bible teaches that we've sinned against a God who is holy and just, and his response to our sin is one of wrath. There's something in God that says that must be punished. Let me show you that in Romans <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That if God gave us what we deserve, it would be death. And in the Bible, death is separation. And it's not just the separation of our body and spirit from one another, but it's a separation from God and from all good things forever. That's what hell is, separation from God and from all good things. We've all sinned. We deserve God's wrath. What do we do? Listen, the bad news is we deserve God's wrath. The good news is that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. For the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news is that God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us, and then he climbed on the cross. And Jesus is fully man so he could take our place, and he's fully God, so his payment for our sin would be sufficient to cover the sins of all of his people. And Jesus experienced on the cross what our sins deserve. If you want to know what our sins deserve, there's Jesus on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus took our sin, died in our place, cried out from the cross, it is finished. He really did die. And the third day, he got up and he walked out of the tomb, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers to us the greatest gift ever given, eternal life. You see, in life, life, we can get what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. Or we can get what we don't deserve, a free gift eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can get forgiveness for sins and the opportunity to do life in eternity with God. How do we receive this gift? In John 3, aren't we taught this? Uh, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do we get forgiveness? We believe in Jesus Jesus. How do we get to do life in eternity with Jesus? We believe in Jesus. Well, what does it mean to believe? And we love to share with people, it's simple to believe in Jesus. It's as simple as A, admit, and then B, believe, and then C, commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Listen, if you'd like eternal life, it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and and, and I'm sorry. Is that true of you? And, And then we believe, Jesus, I believe. You died on the cross for my sins once for all. Is that true of you? And then we commit to him as Savior and Lord Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh. Uh, listen, today you can receive eternal life, but one day it will be too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Matter of fact, let's just take, let's take a moment. I'm not done, but let's just pause for a moment uh, and, and let's close our eyes and, and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue us from the wrath to come. Thank you for dying and rising so we could be forgiven and, and live forever. And listen, if, if you're here and maybe for the first time you've come to understand the gospel and you want eternal life, you'd like to be forgiven, you'd like to do life in eternity with Jesus, Jesus is here. Won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. From this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Oh, if you've said that for the first time, way to go. Most important prayer you'll ever pray. Won't you mark that on your card? we love to celebrate with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Listen to what it says. If, if you've put your trust in Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So what have we learned? We've learned that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. So I want to give you an action step for this week, an action step. And the action step is very simple. I want you to believe the gospel. I mean, we believe the gospel when we get started, but it's important that every day of our lives we we believe the gospel. And so I want to share with you three ways every day I seek to believe the gospel. And the first is to be thankful. To be thankful. Every morning I get up and I have breakfast with Jesus and I say thank you. Thank you for rescuing me from the wrath to come. You know why that's so important? Because we couldn't live if we thought there wouldn't be a judgment day. Isn't that true? We couldn't live if we didn't think that one day justice would happen. I mean, we see people doing terrible things, and we say, where is justice? And we couldn't live if we didn't know that one day there would be a judgment day. But then as we begin to think of it, we also think we can't live knowing there will be a judgment day, because how in the world would we ever be able to stand before God on that judgment day? Uh, Let me illustrate that for you. When I used to live in Boca Raton, I lived in a development called Loggers Run, and uh, there were some young guys breaking into homes, so we hired off-duty Palm Beach County deputies to patrol our neighborhood. We wanted them to catch bad guys, but what they did was they parked at this one intersection of Ponderosa and Palmetto, and every time a resident ran the stop sign, they pulled them over and gave them a ticket. And the residents were furious. We didn't hire you to give us tickets. We hired you to punish those people. Oh, when we cry for justice, be careful. How would we ever stand before God on the Judgment Day? When we say, "God, punish those evil-doers," I think God would start to say back, uh, "Which ones? Which ones? Hmm. That's why I'm so thankful for Jesus. I know this: that no sin will ever go unpunished. God is just and sin will be punished. Every sin ever, be, ever done will be punished, either in Jesus on the cross once and for all where justice was done, or it will be done in people forever and ever. That's what hell is. And I am so thankful for Jesus to know that when I stand before God, I will not get what I deserve, but I will get what I don't deserve. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, thank you so much that I didn't get what I deserve. Let me show you a few verses about this to make you thankful. In Romans 5, verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we're put right with God by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what justified means? It's a little theological, but the moment you believe all your sins are imputed to Christ and you're forgiven, but that's not all, then his righteousness is imputed to us. So that when God the Father looks at us today and on that day of judgment, he doesn't see us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's how we know it will go well with us on that day. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, another verse that means so much to me. I, I don't know about you, but I make it through the day pretty well every day. But when I go to bed at night, all my failures overwhelm me. Uh, as a husband and a father and a grandfather and a, and a pastor, and I just say, man, I am such a mess. Huh. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am so thankful to be a Christian, aren't you? Listen, because in Christ we face no condemnation. So what does it mean to believe the gospel? It means every day when we get up and we start our day and we end our day, we thank Jesus that he's rescued us from the wrath to come. What does it mean to believe the gospel in my life? It's every day that I walk through the ABCs of Admit, Believe, and Commit. And when it comes to commit, I say, Jesus, help me to hang on to you. And Jesus, you hang on to me, okay? Don't let me let go. When Jesus was here, Uh, He said some rather difficult things. And when he said some difficult things, a lot of people walked away. Let me read you that story in John chapter 8. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Uh, I don't know about you, but our culture is becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. And there's a lot of Christians who are walking away from their faith. They're walking away from the faith. Are you? Um, Listen, uh, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Are you guys going to go too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? That's me. Where am I going to go? Jesus has words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but none of us is getting out of this alive. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but none of us are getting younger. What's your plan for the future? What's your plan for the judgment day? My plan is Jesus Christ. He's my only plan, so I'm going to hang on to him. And that comforts me, but what comforts me a lot more is that he's promised to hang on to me. That's why it's so important to believe the gospel is to thank him for rescuing us from the wrath to come. But it's also every day to say, Jesus, I want to hang on to you and you hang on to me. Because where am I going to go? You have words of eternal life. The third thing that believing in the gospel says to me is how important it is that we share the gospel with others. We share the gospel with others. Having lunch with a guest this week, and um, she says, Somalia, I've got a question for you. Why did Jesus put me here on earth? Uh, Would you like to know the answer to that? Let me show you a verse. If you've ever wondered why am I here on earth and you're a Christian, here's why you're on earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> when, when we get Jesus, we get a new identity, we're ambassadors. And you know what an ambassador is, don't you? An ambassador is someone who represents the president in our country in a foreign country. They're there to carry out the wish of the president in the country in a foreign country. That's who we are. We're living in a foreign country. But Jesus has appointed us as his ambassadors. So next time someone says, who are you? say, Well, I'm an ambassador. For who? Well, the greatest king and kingdom ever. Who? King Jesus. Oh, did you know that Jesus appointed you an ambassador where you live and work and play. You're there to represent him and his wishes in your school, in your office, on your street. And and what does he want us to do? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an, an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus wants us to go to people believing that he's working through us, begging people to be reconciled to God. Wouldn't we be bolder if we believed that God was working through us? So this week, <clears throat> this week I'm meeting with some folks and I'm discipling them. And uh, one guy says, uh, Smiley, this week, uh, I called a friend of mine. And, uh, and I called him and I said, you know what? I'm getting old and I love you. And there's something I want to share with you. Would that be okay with you? And his friend said, yeah, that would be okay. And, and so he, he asked a couple of questions. And he says, do you know you're going to heaven? And, and why should God let you into heaven? And, and he just read the questions right out of the Do You Know booklet. And when the guy said, well, I'm a pretty good person, he said, listen, I thought I had some good news to share with you. But after you've shared that, I know I have the best news you'll ever hear. And he shared with him the bad news of the gospel and the good news and invited him to response and he said, yes. Oh, listen, we've made it so easy for you, okay? And so that's what, this week we rejoice at seeing one person who came to faith in Christ. (laughs) Because he understood he's an ambassador and he's here on earth to beg his friends to come to faith in Christ. And listen, we can too. We've made it easy for you. We've put it in a book for you. Well, you can just read it to the people you love. So here's my question. Who do you know? Who do you know who really needs to hear what we talked about today? Can't we learn from this man to say, hey, listen, I love you. Could I share with you what's, what's really important to me? Will you do that? You can do it. You really, really can Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us from the wrath to come. Jesus, help us to hang on to you. And Jesus, never let go of us. Jesus, thank you for appointing us ambassadors. Thank you for giving us a purpose big enough to give our lives to. Lord, I pray this week that you would send us all out to people we love to beg them to be reconciled to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.